Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Help Me Think. I'm your host, Starla West. Today on the show, our special guest is Tiffany Wynn, the executive assistant for the CEO of Repeat MD. We're not just admins. We are so much more than that, and we have so much influence, and we control how the executive spends their time and energy. That's a really powerful, influential role that I think every admin should embrace and be confident in. Tiffany is a thought leader and highly sought after speaker in the administrative professionals community. She's known for her analytical approach to optimizing calendars and boosting productivity. And I'm thrilled to have her join us today. Help Me Think is sponsored by Business Furniture, a 100-year-old organization focusing on innovation since 1922. That's right. You heard me correctly. Business Furniture just celebrated its 100th anniversary of creating spaces where people can work better, learn better, and feel better. They truly are the experts when it comes to creating spaces where employees can show up and do their best thinking and best work. As you all know, hybrid work has gone mainstream, and it's one of the biggest economic and cultural changes facing leaders today. Most organizations that choose hybrid work are trying to offer a balance between the flexibility that people want and the need to bring employees together to foster collaboration and innovation. And these guys know how to do it. So let Business Furniture help build a sense of community for your company. Check them out at businessfurniture.net. And now, back to our episode. Let me share how I stumbled upon Tiffany's expertise. At this year's Enlighten 2023, which is an outstanding conference for administrative professionals that is hosted by Joan Burge and her team at Office Dynamics, I had the pleasure of presenting a session titled Strategic Thinking for Executive Assistance. During the event, I had some spare time, so I decided to attend a few sessions myself. When I saw Tiffany's session on the agenda focusing on strategic calendar management, I knew it was a must attend. I mean, after all, who doesn't struggle with endless meetings and the constant need for more thinking time? So why have Tiffany on the podcast? Well, it's simple. Thanks to her strategic calendar management expertise, she achieved remarkable results for her CEO. Listen to this. She uncovered a whopping 10 and a half extra hours in her CEO's weekly calendar for strategic thinking and flex time. She slashed her CEO's weekly recurring meetings from devouring 39% of his week to now only 23% of his week. And she significantly reduced his tactical meeting time, liberating him from nine hours to just three and a quarter hours each week. This, my friends, is the true magic of an executive assistant, especially one who's proficient in strategic calendar management. Now, hold on to your seats because Tiffany and I had an enlightening conversation So enlightening that we had to split it into two parts. In this first installment, we explore the immense value of a seasoned executive. Tiffany passionately believes in the indispensable partnership between an executive and their EA, and I couldn't agree more. No role is more vital to a successful executive than the executive's assistant. The best of the best are trusted partners and reliable advisors to the executive they support. 
They make their role a force multiplier by removing roadblocks and filling potholes as their executive delivers on organizational objectives. EAs are not a luxury. They are an absolute necessity. And in part one of this episode, Tiffany explains why. If you're an executive leader and you're aiming to harness your EA's potential to the fullest, this episode is tailor-made for you. You're in for an insightful conversation. And remember, download the free worksheet for this episode because in it, you will find five steps that you can follow to unlock the full potential of your executive assistant and reclaim valuable time on your calendar. Okay, let's get after it. Without further ado, let's dive into part one of our conversation with the exceptional Tiffany Wynn. I want to talk about just you and your career path. Um, what, what was your path into the administrative professional's world? Yeah, um, it's a great question because I don't think any EAs really intentionally pick this career path. Um, I um, do have an accounting um, degree um, from SMU. And when I was in school, I was part of two um, student-ran organizations. Um, and I was president of one and vice president of the other one. One was on leadership and the other one was a social organization for uh, minorities on campus. Um, and through those organizations, um, the former president was the EA to a CEO at a financial firm in Dallas. And she was um, moving on to go get her MBA and she needed to find a replacement for herself. Um, and so she said, you know, the skill sets to be a good EA is everything that the presidents of these um, student organizations have. Um, so she reached out to me. I didn't know her before, but she reached out to me and um, and she um, asked if I was interested in the role. You know, um, I was graduating. Um, so I interviewed in April, um, the April before I graduated, um, um, you know, a month before I graduated. Um, I didn't get the job because I was too green, but that's what opened my eyes to this career path. And I never looked back. I never applied to one accounting role ever. My whole career. <laughs> um, and, um, and I knew I didn't want to do that um, my senior year in college, but it was already too late. Um, There's so much money and time invested that I just needed to finish and get a degree. Um, so I'm so glad that um, this former president asked me to um, sit in on this interview because it, it just it changed my whole career path. It really did. So, so what was it when you when you um, went through that interview and and your eyes just kind of opened to to this career path? What was it that you found attractive or that just really spoke to you that you thought this is me? This is what I want to do. Um, it's such a service oriented role. Um, it's behind the scenes support for somebody, for an executive. Um, and I, you know, I was in the restaurant business throughout college. Um, and even years after college, I was still doing it on the side because I just, I, I really enjoyed the service industry and the hospitality industry. So mm -hmm. it was kind of that it's just serving others and being behind the scenes is really what um, what interests me. And it's the logistics and the organization and um, the problem solving as well. Um, I was a big Tetris kid um, growing up and Tetris is all about solving problems and and understanding what piece is coming next and where it's going. So, um, I mean, that's what calendar is. It's just a strategic Tetris game. <laughs> <laughs> I never I never thought about it from that perspective, but you're absolutely right. It's it is calendar Tetris. Yeah. And I didn't realize it. I mean, I didn't know I was a, I loved um, solving problems until maybe five years ago. And th that's when everything started clicking. Oh, that's why I liked Tetris when I was a kid, you know, um, and I didn't know why I just liked it. Uh, but it, 
everything started coming together with the role and the industry and all of that. So. So you've been in the administrative professionals world for 12 years. I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you came in as um, an administrative professional, but you've elevated already to an executive assistant. And from what I can tell, you're functioning very much uh, almost like a, a chief of staff now for the CEOs that you have supported. So um, let's talk a little bit about those, those 12 years and what that evolution looked like and, and, and where are you at now? And how did you get there? How did you really get into a place where you're really thriving in an executive assistance role? Yeah. Um, it, yes, I did start out as a receptionist and an admin assistant um, at the beginning of my career. Um, and I kind of stayed in that role for three to four years um, and just learning. You get a lot of exposure being at the front desk and answering calls um, when, you know, people called more often 10 years ago. Um, and um, so you get a lot of exposure to different parts of the business um, and and getting to know who's who um, in an organization is um, was kind of the foundation of what I worked on at the first three to four, maybe even five years of, of my career. Um, when I really started elevating my skill set and understanding that I'm not, you know, just an, an admin, um, because a lot of EAs that I've come across feel like they're just an admin. And I, I don't, it's, we're not just admins. We are so much more than that. And we have so much influence and we control how the executive spends their time and energy. That's a really powerful, influential role um, that uh, I think every admin should, you know, embrace uh, and be confident in. So where do you think that comes from? Because I've, I've seen and heard that too. Um, it, it was probably just, gosh, it's almost, I bet it's been almost 10 years that I have been speaking at various conferences for administrative professionals. And it's pretty consistent uh, from conference to conference that there's always a portion of admins who really do look at it as just an admin. Mm -hmm. What's feeding into that? And, and why do you think uh, that that mindset gets established in some administrative professionals' heads. I, I think it's just traditionally um, like mad, the Mad Men days, you know, um, where it's they were secretaries. I don't know what they were called before that, but they were the ones fetching the coffee and and doing all of that. And yes, we do that sometimes. Yes, um, but it's we're doing we're taking anything off of the executive's plate that distracts them from the high level strategic thinking um, and all of that. So I think it's just a tra just traditional mindset. Um, the, the media and movies, um, you know, don't portray assistants as strategic as they should be. Um, so the, I, I think it comes from a lot of places, um, but it's evolved so much in the past 10 years. It's so exciting to see and be involved in um, that ex EAs are not seen as just admins anymore. And everyone in the company, if you're smart, you know, everyone in the company knows that EAs um, kind of run the, are, are the backbone of the company and, and, and run the show behind the scenes um, behind the executive team. Well, let's give everybody some insight into what that looks like. Let's dig a little deeper into that. Sure. So what, what exactly are EAs doing that, um, that 
is is accomplishing what you just mentioned for the executive, which is taking everything off their plate that is getting in the way of them being um, a, a high level problem solver, focusing on strategic initiatives. What are you guys doing behind the scenes? Uh, we're doing everything. Um, <laughs> there's a I, I think of the word juxtapose or juxtaposition in my role because you have to be two opposite things at the same time. You, you, you're, you're the calm in the chaos. Um, you know, like you have to be so put together and calm when behind the scenes, everything's just running amok and you don't know what's going to happen next. Um, so it's, it's kind of the, the calm in the chaos. It's the, um, it's the approachability, but also being a highly, you know, confidential person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is fast paced, very, very fast paced behind the scenes. But again, showing that very calm demeanor, um, you know, it, it's it's dealing with executives and investors and clients and also working with building management on the uh, on the other hand to get everything done in, in the office. So um, there's so much there's such a wide breadth of responsibilities and tasks and soft skill sets that um, that we have to embrace and um, and exemplify to be able to be successful and, and thrive in this role. And um, there's a lot of um, humbleness um, in this role, in my opinion, to be successful. Um, you know, I am mopping, you know, coffee off of the floor and cleaning out the fridge. And on the other hand, I'm arranging, you know, private jet, you know, trips for my executive. So it's luxury, but that's also, I'm, you know, um, the opposite of luxury at the same time. So that's why I think of this, um, this like yin and yang, um, you know, um, juxtaposition image when, whenever I think of my role. Yeah. And I, I love that you said humble because there, uh, there's a lot of humility that I wrote no matter what role you're in, we all need to be bringing humility to the work that we're doing. But um, it it makes complete sense. Like you said, it's kind of the yin and the yang, the the chaos and the calm. Uh, But then adding on to that, the ability to shift from, like you said, mopping up coffee and then turning right around and um, uh, like you said, scheduling the, the flights for your, your executive, or I know in previous conversations, you know, you, you've spent a lot of time working uh, directly with your CEO's direct reports and um, maybe delivering difficult information or helping them or coaching them. Right. And, and so one of the things that when I'm working with my executives, I explain to them that if you're leveraging your executive assistant wisely, he or she is simply, and that's probably not the right word, but an, a natural extension of you, right? Yeah. That you, if they are a natural extension of you, if they understand how you think and they know how to think when you're not present and um, they can speak on your behalf when you're not present and they clearly understand what your initiatives are, where you're focused, this person quickly becomes more than just an admin. Uh-huh. They become uh, more like a chief of staff. Yeah, the force so, multiplier. Yes, a force multiplier. So, what, what advice would you give to administrative professionals who know they have the capacity to do that, and they want to do that? How do they how do they start to shift into um, more of a role like that versus 
you know, just the traditional stuff that that we think of when we think of administrative professionals? Right. Um, The first step is building that trust with your executive. Um, That is the number one key. And it's not going to happen overnight. I'm a very seasoned, experienced EA. I just started in a new role four weeks ago. And, you know, the CEO and I are still trying to find our rhythm, but it takes time and and it can't be forced. Um, It could be accelerated a little bit by doing certain things and having an onboarding plan and things like that. But, but, you know, it just just definitely takes time. And, um, you know, we're starting to learn, you know, our idiosyncrasies about ourselves. And there are going to be days when, you know, it's going to be tense and understanding that that's natural, understanding that that's natural. And you have to kind of go through that phase to be able to be a high performing team. And you and your executive are a team or our partners, you know, they're y'all are business partners. Um, so one, so it's the trust building. It's um, it um, having the, um, understanding that it's going to take time. And then after you build that trust with your executive, then you start building the trust with the other executive um, team members. Because you can't, you're not able to influence or, um, you know, or give, um, have those difficult conversations without that trust being there. Because one, it'll go in one ear and out the other, and, and then it won't serve a purpose. That conversation won't serve a purpose. Um, or they'll just get resentful of you. And yes, you do have to embody and embrace, you know, how the executive thinks. But on the other hand, you also have to bring different perspectives to the executive that they might not see and that others, it's very obvious to others, but not obvious to the executive. Um, So there is still that yin and yang (laughs) um, um, contrasting ideals, again, is, um, is, is just building on the trust. Do you have any strategies that you've learned to lean on when you're starting in a new role with a with an executive do you have any like specific things that you know you're going to do right off the bat to start to lay the foundation for that trust um, setting expectations is definitely the first um, the first thing that I like to do um, and it's and it's not me asking, hey, what do you expect out of me? It's um, I'm coming up with things on my own and we're going to as a starting off point and we're going to review them and you can uh, we can agree on them, disagree on some or meet in the middle on the others. Um, so it's just setting those expectations um, is is kind of the first step. Um, and I ask a lot of questions and I, I tell this to all of my new executives. I'm going to ask so many questions at the beginning. It could get annoying just if, you know, if it gets too much, just tell me, you know, not right now, but I am going to ask them later. So, you know, I just ask a lot of questions, a lot of um, context. I need a lot of context. I'll get all the con- context that I can from anybody in the organization, outside of the organization. Um, I had lunch with um, my new executive's wife a couple of weeks ago and his daughter. So um, just c- getting the whole context of the whole picture of the executive. That is, um, that's my biggest strategy coming up. Uh, up front. Um, and I have an onboarding document um, of a list of questions and, um, you know, um, when do you like your lunch? What kind of lunch do you like to eat? You know, just those things. Um, do you like to sit in aisle or window? You know, mm-hmm. so I can book flights um, based on those preferences instead of having to ask every single time. Right. Right. And, and, and or learn as you go. I mean, wow, what a what a great document to have. You can knock all that out in the very beginning and those questions are answered and you can move forward. Yes. And I'm creating a playbook now. Um, and really, 
I am. Um, based off of the onboarding document um, and things that I learn along the way, I'm documenting everything um, because I want someone to have my role eventually, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I won't be able to move up unless somebody else takes my role and I can hand this playbook down to somebody. Um, or, you know, if I win the lottery tomorrow, then, you know, I'm probably not going to work anymore. <laughs> so I get to <laughs> hand off this playbook um, where the executive, you know, of course, it'll it'll be painful without me, but they, they'll they be able to survive, you know, without me. Well, that, uh, yeah, I, I, I've got a feeling you're going to have lots of people all throughout the world interested in that playbook if you get yeah. that puppy put together and and I actually, um, Dan Martell, um, he's an executive coach um, that my current CEO just picked up as an executive coach. Uh-huh. And he, um, I got his EA to send me their executive playbook, their EA playbook. Perfect. Yeah, I'm not reinventing the re- the, the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, that, that's kind of silly when we do that unnecessarily. <laughs> okay, so I want to go back to something here. You mentioned that you had lunch with the executive's wife and his daughter. Yes. Is that normal? It, 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 did you initiate that? Did he initiate that? What's I did. That all about? <laughs> I did. Um, every executive assistant role has a little or a lot, but at least a little bit of personal assistant stuff, um, uh, you know, um, tasks associated to it because the executive and especially, and I, I, um, I've supported um, founder CEOs in my last two roles and in my current one and their whole life is not a work life balance. There's no split between work and life. It is a whole, I I see it as a whole, it's a working life balance. Mm -hmm. Um, And so everything in their personal life affects their work life and everything in their work life affects their personal life. And so, um, you know, as long as the executive is comfortable, I'm, you know, I am meeting with their family and I am helping their family, you know, with things as well. Um, I've done things like, like pack, and send off the kids camp bags to Connecticut. And, you know, I'm booking flights. Um, A lot of executives will bring their families with them um, towards the end of their business trip so that they can spend the weekend in LA um, after, you know, a week of investor meetings or conferences. And so it's just a lot easier for me as an EA to handle the whole life and the whole schedule and not just one portion of it because it makes it harder. Um, I have supported executives where they did not want me involved in their um, personal, you know, calendar stuff, but then Mm -hmm. they would forget to transfer personal things to their work calendar and things would get a lot, you know, messier and more reactive. So it's, it's more effective um, and efficient if I am at least aware of the personal things that are going on. Yeah. And that goes right back to why trust is so essential, because if they're going to open up the door and, and and give you that insight into their personal world and even access to their personal world, right. that there's got to be a strong trusting relationship in place. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, um, and you know, I don't I, I don't initiate these lunches with, with the spouses, um, you know, without them knowing about it, you know, right. Um, and I'm asking, that's, I, I, a lot of times I'm asking for permission. I'm, I'm asking for forgiveness and not permission, but in the personal <laughs> cases, I definitely ask for permission first. So I'm just curious, how, how did, how did um, his wife respond to it? Like, so was this, because I'm, I'm putting myself in her shoes and I'm just yeah. wondering if she's thinking, what is going on? I've never had one of his assistants do, do this with me before. Yeah, no, um, she was great. She was absolutely great. Her name is Jeanette and um, she was very open to it. And I was very, um, 
you know, gracious to her for, for doing that. Um, but she also has, I mean, her and Phil, Phil is my current CEO. They have the same mindset as me in terms of a working life balance and that it's a whole picture and there's no fine, like, you know, it's very gray area between the working and the life, uh, yes, the working and the life part of their lives. And so that's, I think finding an executive with the same mindset as you and the same values and similar, you know, you, you're on the same bus <laughs> and going in the same direction is also key. Um, and every executive has different values, you know? Um, and so as an EA, when you're going through these interviews and you're vetting the company and the executive, I think it's very important to align on the values um, and Phil um, and his wife, you know, we just see things the same way in that aspect. And so supporting them is easy. It's, it's, it doesn't feel like a job, you know, and uh, his wife, um, you know, said at the lunch that she wants this to be a family, a familiar unit, you know, because it mm -hmm. takes her and me and the daughter and the executive to work together to make all of this work. That is, I, I just love that idea. I, I think that's, a, I, I never would have thought of that idea of myself. Um, but I think that that is a, a wonderful way to approach coming in at the very beginning and setting a foundation uh, for success for you, for the executive, for his or her family. It just, it's, it sounds brilliant to me. So um, you've been at this now for 12 years and um you have, you very clearly have transitioned quickly into an executive assistance role that I, I still, I look at you as if you're, you're functioning like a chief of staff. Um, what contributed to that kind of that really fast evolution into that role? Is there anything there that, that, that helped you evolve as quickly as you did? Um, I, I have a personal history of um, having breast cancer five years ago. So, um, and I was always a high performing EA even before the breast cancer, but I, I definitely think the breast cancer um, experience in my life, it really helped me look at things differently. And it gave me the growth mindset that I have right now before. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was very, I was high performing. I was very organized. I was a good EA. I managed the calendar. Well, I, you know, events were done seamlessly. Um, but I didn't have that growth mindset. I was a little stubborn in my ways and <laughs> I wasn't as empathetic to people. Um, and I only cared about getting stuff done getting the things done that I needed to get done. Um, so I was a great executor in terms of just getting things done, but I wasn't a good people person, <laughs> honestly. Really? Yes, I, people are very surprised when I say that now, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't as, you know, again, as empathetic. And um, so going through that, it, it, it was humbling and it made me think of what else other people are going through that, don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it really just made me more open-minded. Wow. Wow. Um, I, first of, first and foremost, I, I'm, it, it makes me sad that you had to go through that experience, but it does sound like that, um, that experience has positively impacted just you, your path after that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not, I would never, if I had a choice to go through it or not, I would definitely go through it again because it, 
that's how it got me here to where I'm at today. Um, and I met my husband through cancer treatment as well. So a side story, I met my husband through cancer treatment. He works at MD Anderson, which is the hospital that I got my treatment at. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was my first nurse through, through um, at my first chemo. And we have a son and we named him after the hospital, Anderson. <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, you took, I mean, you took um, what is is a terrible situation and turned it into a positive for you. Yes. Yep. Turn lemons into lemonade. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love, well, first and foremost, thank you very much for sharing that with us. Of course. Yeah. No, it's, it's a huge part of my story. And um, I don't, I don't say hi, my name's Tiffany. I'm a breast cancer survivor, but, um, but when we start digging through, you know, how I got here, that's definitely a huge part of the, the story, a huge chapter of the story. Um, but in terms of the skill set, um, but the, the mindset is first. So the, the growth mentality, mm-hmm. um, and the empathy and the humbleness and the open mindset, um, was the first pivotal step in terms of, um, me reaching, uh, you know, where I'm at today. Um, the, the other things in terms of skill set um, would be strate- more strategic mindset, um, assertiveness, and, and confidence, and not aggressiveness, assertiveness. And there's a big difference. Um, and I definitely think business acumen is is a huge skill set to um, learn as well, especially with um, CEOs. CEOs are masters uh, or they're master generalists because they have to have at the very least a high level of every function in the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and as EAs, you have to um, understand at least the terminology and the operations and the processes of your executive's function. Um, so that I think business acumen to support CEOs specifically, but, um, if you're supporting any executive in marketing or finance, you, you should understand at a high level what a balance sheet is. If you're supporting a a CFO, um, or what GTM means if you're, you know, if you're supporting um, somebody in marketing. So those things, um, uh, you know, you do EAs could be specialized in certain functions, we're, we're not all just generalist, you know? Yeah. So how, how did you develop your business acumen then? Is that just something that you've, you intentionally developed over time by learning in each of your roles or, or did you go out and seek uh, any kind of additional education or certificates or anything like that? I sat in on the meetings. I said, I, um, you know, I asked the executives um, if it was okay for me to just sit in and be a fly on the wall, literally just sat in and listened. And um, that's how I learned so much. And EAs have this advantage um, that most of the people in the organization don't is that exposure to the executive level thinking and meetings, approach the conversations, um, you know, they're learning from the mistakes as well. Um, you know, not every, ex- ex- none, no executive is perfect and will make, you know, the best decisions all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're learning through that as well, but they're not being directly impacted by, the, by, um, by the mistakes. So um, it's, it's a great way to learn. You know, I have thought about going back to school to get my MBA. Um, and maybe that's something down the road that I would pursue. But I'm, I feel like I'm getting so much more knowledge, gaining more knowledge just by sitting in on these meetings. Yeah, yeah, that that makes complete sense to me. You're seeing it in action. 
Um, I, I love on-the-job development because in, in classes, it's all about theory, yes. um, knowledge and theory. But it, it's, a, it's a different world when you start to put all of that into action and see how it really works. Yes. Yeah. 70% of development is through experience. So, so, yeah. So you would recommend EAs asking to sit in on meetings where they know they've got something to learn? Yes, absolutely. And at the very minimum, it's um, it's also creating efficiencies for you and the executive as well. If you're sitting in on the meetings and you're taking down the action items of your executive, mm-hmm. then then they don't have to go back to you and say, oh, in this meeting, we discussed this and this is what I owe, you know, because you're keeping track of their task list. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're sitting in on the meetings, um, you don't have to do that debrief with your executive. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, in a in a previous conversation when we were preparing for this this podcast, you had just kind of off the cuff made the comment that you 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 really consider yourself a business partner. Mm-hmm. And um, you you mentioned one job, two people and that, that my ears immediately perked up. And I was like, tell me a little more about what you mean by that one job, two people. Because, well, you just tell us, tell us first, and then I'll, I'll follow up with another question. Yeah, um, I actually borrowed that <laughs> that term. And I can't even remember who, but I, I remember I sent you the, the website. Um, but it, you know, when I heard it, I was the same way. And I, I've been in EA for so long, and I never looked at it in that perspective. Um, and it's such a simple phrase, one job, two people, but it says so much. And I think every EA can relate, even executives can relate to that. Um, if nobody was managing the calendar or booking travel or, you know, prepping the, the, the materials for the meeting, it still has to get done. These aren't these aren't luxury items um, that executives get because they get an EA. These are things that have to get done. They have to show up to these meetings. The, the deck has to be there. Um, so that's the the one job, two people. It, it's just it resonates so deeply with me. Um, and and I, I always send um, that website out to the executives as well because it gives them a different perspective in terms of what they can hand off or include their EAs in, in terms of meetings or, you know, just, just information just as an FYI, you know, um, because the more that EAs know, the more dots that we can connect. Um, and we're, I mean, we're ultimate integrators and collaborators throughout the entire organization across the um, organization. And so the more information we have, then the more effective we'll be. So you, did you just say that you send, okay. Uh, and I've got a link to that because you shared yes. that with me and I'll make sure the a link to the, the one job, two people concept is in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But did you just say that you send that to the executive that you're supporting? Yes. <laughs> so what's your strategy for that? How, how do you do that? Because my, my assumption is, is that you're, you're trying to introduce um, a mindset, a concept mm-hmm. that you would like for them to buy into as well. So how, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, well, for, for my current um, role, um, Phil, he already has that mindset. Um, he, in my interview process, he said, um, "You are. I want this person, um, whoever takes gets this role, to be my b- true business partner." Um, so I already knew. I already knew that we were we were on the same page. So sending. Um, so I didn't. 
I sent it to him, but I also sent it out to the rest of his executive leadership team actually last week and the EAs. So it was a group email um, and um, the one job two people website has an um, another website called Emory and that those are resources for assistance um, from the executives view. And then the one job two people is the um, is for executives from the EA view. So it's um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's very. Um, so I sent it out in one email to EAs and execs uh, in my current company. Um, it's, and I didn't really need Phil to buy into that um, mm-hmm. because his mindset was already there. Um, and we had kind of discussed that, you know, some of the execs probably need to utilize their EAs a little bit more. Okay. Well, that, that, so I'm curious as to what the results were like, or what kind of response that you, you got either from the other EAs who are supporting the other executives or the executives themselves. Did you get any kind of response or any kind of questions back? Stay tuned. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Yeah. But um, to go back to your question on um, if, um, if other executives aren't already in that mindset um, and have that perspective on, um, you know, how you're able to get them to see it that way. I mean, I, my personality is, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to send it, you know, send the link or the resource and tell them my views on it. Um, and they can, they can, you know, push back on it (laughs) or, or, you know, and we, and it's a discussion. And if they, if they're just completely not on the same page at all, I I don't know if that executive is for me to support. I'm not for everybody. (laughs) So, well, my guess is then that you do your due diligence when you are interviewing for a role, not only are you paying close attention to the values alignment, Right. Which I think is important. I want to come back to that, the values alignment. Uh, but you're also paying close attention to do they have this mindset or not? Or are they likely to transition into this mindset if I were to introduce it to them? Right. Yes. And yes. Um, my assumption is, is if you don't see the values alignment or if you don't see the opportunity there to to, op- to, to operate in a way with this kind of mindset, that you just don't say yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's OK not to say yes. And and, you know, I know that I'm I'm not the EA for every executive out there. And that's okay. And not every executive is for me either. Um, And I think that a lot of EAs, they don't, they don't see the value that they're bringing to organizations and they don't consider themselves um, as important as C-level executives, but they are. Everybody in the organization is. And and so it's not just, am I a right fit for the company? Is the company the right fit for me? Is the executive the right fit for me? Um, and it's my personal life as well. You know, is this executive going to be calling me at 2 a.m. in the morning? And that's just not going to work for me, even if we get along great, you know? Um, so, um, so I think it's, it's definitely doing the due diligence, understanding what you want and what you don't want. That's really important too for both the executive and the EA um, and just that communication. Do you get, do you ever run into pushback from your executives direct reports who would be the other executives in the organization? Um, Even if your executive is functioning um, in the kind of a way that you want them to, which means they're allowing you to be a business partner 
to be the, those two people that are serving in this role. Uh, I can see the opportunity for some executives to not love that mm -hmm. um, and to not look at you the same way that your executives looking at you. Have you been in that situation before? And if so, how have you dealt with that? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I've been in that situation a lot, actually. Um, and I keep going back to building that trust. Um, and some executives, I can build trust in a 30 minute meeting. Some executives takes months to build. And I have that open conversation with my, um, with the CEO, with the, the executive that I'm supporting is, um, you know, cause right now, even this is a, a very current example. Um, Phil wants me to sit in on all of his one-on-ones with his direct reports because I, so I can take notes, I can take action items. Um, but I, you know, I was hesitant. I told Phil, look, my, preference and recommendation is I don't sit in on them yet and that you get feedback from your direct reports about me so far. It's been four weeks um, because I can guarantee you that they don't have the same relationship and trust um, in me as you do yet. Uh, right. And it's just going to take time. And, um, and I don't think he had that conversation with them last week. And he wanted me to sit in on the one-on-ones um, this week, this past week. Um, mm -hmm. And, I got um, one executive's EA to ask them directly. So I'm not asking them. So it's not awkward if they say no. Um, I asked their EA to ask them. Um, and the answer was no. And I'm sure they had their reasons. And I don't take it personally at all. I, you know, I know that it's too soon. Hopefully this executive is giving feedback to my CEO, which he'll bring me next week on if it's me, if it's not me, if it's just like a topic, then, um, you know, then I can take that feedback. Yeah, you know, uh, that, that that's your empathy kicking in because you're really looking at it from that other executive's perspective. And I applaud you for that because uh, I know there, there'd be a lot of individuals out there that would take it personal. They would think this is my job. They just have to deal with this. I'm going to be in these meetings. But looking at it from the other executive's perspective, if they're in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with their CEO, who knows what those topics are going to be? And um, they might be hesitant, right, to, to engage in conversations like they normally would with a CEO if there's a brand new executive assistant in there that they don't know all that well and, and are wondering, can I trust this person? Right. And, and, and my guess is, is that you're over time going to develop fantastic relationships with their EAs. So they've got to know there's a level of confidentiality there. Right. Yeah. And, and if I, and if, it never happens. That's fine. Like we are here to do a job and we have to work together anyway. So, but if I'm not involved in those one-on-ones, that's okay. I mean, I work around it. I will schedule a five minute debrief with my, um, with Phil after his one-on-one -on -one so that I can get, you know, whatever action items that I need to get down. Um, but it definitely changes the dynamic. One-on-ones are supposed to be one-on-one. Um, so it definitely changes the dynamics. Um, in my last role, I, um, my CEO wanted me to sit in on the executive leadership team meetings every week. And, um, and I was very hesitant on that as well. And I, I got um, my former CEO to recognize that it does could change the dynamics if the trust wasn't there. And so he, they, he did ask if everyone was comfortable um, with it before I started um, mm -hmm. to attend. So, um, you know, I'm very aware and very, I might be hypersensitive about changing dynamics on the executive um, leadership teams because, you know, I just got here and I, I, 
I, I would have some reservations as well, you know, uh, and they should, they should have some reservations. They don't know. They don't know me yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I, and I, I love, I love that mindset because that's going to set you up to be successful and to avoid taking anything personally unnecessarily. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. 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 Like having thick skin is, is definitely part of, of um, how I thrive as an EA. Uh, <laughs> So I want to go back to also the um, a comment that you made earlier about when you're supporting an executive assistant, all of the work that you're doing is work that needs to be done. So if uh, it, so, if you're supporting an executive, or let's let's go back and say if you have an executive who does not have an EA, all of the administrative stuff the tactical stuff or the um, items where you can be a natural extension and, and serve in their place. So they don't have to be there and do certain things, you know, to, to you know, lighten up their calendar. Um, you're coming in and doing things for them that are absolutely necessary. And that's where the value of an exist executive assistant really sits. Right. And I loved how you said that because I think that, a lot of times we can fool ourselves into believing that having an EA is a luxury. And mm -hmm. I, I know that it's not a luxury because I work with some executives who just either they don't have the budget to get an executive assistant or they don't think they need one. And I'm an outsider looking in and I'm like, there's so much that could be taken off of your plate. Right. Right. And, and yet you don't see the value of an executive assistant and you're struggling. And this is why. Yeah. Yeah. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> right. Um, so it, and it's it's really it's an investment to buy back their own time. Right. Um, that That is. And, and I borrowed that phrase from Dan Martell as well. He wrote a book called Buy Back Your Time. And a huge part of it is hiring um, a strategic EA to help take things off of the executive's plate that they're not passionate about, you know, a lot of execs aren't, they, they don't enjoy managing the calendar like I do, you know, the calendar Tetris like I do. And, and that's great because then, you know, I can take it and I am excited about managing calendars and, and you know, that's the purpose that I serve here um, and, and helping the executive and the organization. Um, but they're not excited about that. They're excited about, you know, the next version of the, their product that comes out. And, you know, I, I yes, I, I, you know, I have to buy into the product or the services that um, of the company that I'm with, but also I, I don't, that doesn't excite me, you know, um, the, the managing the travel, the, you know, all of these moving pieces, the um, collaboration with everybody in across and, um, you know, depth wise in the organization. Um, that's what excites me. Um, so that's, that's this role. And, um, it, it, you know, for the executives that don't think that they need one, um, you know, maybe, maybe their, their passion is in the admin space. You know, if I ever became a CEO, that would be my passion. I'd still have an EA, you know, I, <laughs> um, it just, it just allows them to, to do the more strategic things and the thinking that they are excited about and that drives them and what's fun for them and what they're good at. You know, they're, they're, you'd be hard pressed to find an executive who 
says, I just love the admin stuff, so I'm going to hold on to it. And that's a really brilliant idea on my end, I right? I, I, I would be like, no, no, you're not, because yeah. that's not what we're employing you to do here. We're right. employing you to be strategic and exactly. to be a problem solver. They, they probably wouldn't be, you know, executives if the if admin was their passion, you know, um, not not an, an enterprise, you know, organizations, maybe consulting and services like that. But, um, you know, if their passion was admin services, I don't think it would, they would be executives at that level. The last question I have is just, it's kind of just swirling around in my mind because I know that this is a conversation that that's, that's come up quite a bit in just in the circles that I'm running in, which is you're functioning very much like a business partner for your executive as your executive. But have you ever been in a situation where you're supporting the CEO as a business partner as a, but at the same time, that CEO has a chief of staff. And if so, how do you work hand in hand with a chief of staff and not and work collaboratively, but not step on each other's toes? Because I can see where a line can where the line between business partner and chief of staff could easily get blurred. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Actually, my current role, um, I'm working with the chief of staff. And in my last role, I um, worked with the chief of staff. Um, And so far, so it's working really well here. Um, But in my last role, and I'll talk about that more because I was there um, longer. um, It it definitely, there are some blurred lines in terms of who is responsible for what. Um, But again, it's that communication, um, understanding, um, having that expectation aligned with the chief of staff and the CEO um, and the EA business partner that those three are the office of the CEO um, and just have a strong office of the CEO. They have to be working collaboratively together um, towards the same vision um, or or, or working towards the same outcome. So, um, Again, it's the humbleness and the empathy that I bring into developing that relationship with the chief of staff. Um, and chief of staff roles are also ambiguous in terms of their responsibilities as well. And it depends on what the CEO is is lacking, then the chief of staff and the EA kind of picks up. Um, So it's very different in every role. Um, But in my last role, um, the chief of staff was um, a lot more autonomous, um, not, you know, managing the CEO's daily tasks. Um, He was managing larger company-wide initiatives and making sure that it's getting done and the right people were working on it. Um, So, a lot project management in both both um, roles, EA and chief of staff. Um, but the EA is a lot more reactive um, to what's going on in the office of the CEO, and um, and more ta- on more connected with the CEO. In, in my opinion, there the chief of staff is asking me, "Hey, when is the CEO flying out on this day? Um, what time are they going to get there? What?" city are they in this week? Um, you know, they're not managing their, the executive, the CEO's time, um, like, like the EAs are. Um, 
But again, a chief of staff is, is also still taking things off of the CEO's plate um, to allow them to focus on um, higher level strategic things, investors. Um, so current in my current role, the chief of staff is more involved in um, the funding rounds and in investors and attending the investor meetings and actually sitting in on the board meeting. And um, he's the one taking the minutes and the action items from the board meeting. Um, and me and him will work together to disseminate um, to, you know, uh, to cascade the information down to the people and who owns what action. Um, so we're kind of working, we're still trying to figure that out, who's going to own what. Um, but we're a good balance because I'm very organized and type A and he is, um, you know, he's a people person and he, he loves being in discussions and he's kind of like all over the place <laughs> and, and I can rain like, and I'm, and I'm, you know, different. So we, I think our strengths balance each other out, um, uh, for the chief of staff and I, and I did interview with the chief of staff as well. Um, so okay. that was a very important interview. Um, and just making sure that, um, we would work well together, you know, um, and it's just having that open, the, the transparency and the open dialogue. And if I, if I need clarification, I'm not going to, um, you know, beat around the bush on it. I'm just going to ask it directly. And, yeah. But not, not every EA would be comfortable doing that. So I, I think just um, uh, having those clear expectations and aligning on, you know, what they, the chief of staff actually owns versus what um, you're going to own is, is very important. Yeah. That circles right back to just what you were saying earlier about just come as soon as you come in, having initiating that conversation about expectations and, and making sure that if there's a chief of staff at play, that, that they are, they are part of that conversation and, and things are being discussed with them as well. Yeah. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's the, it's the values of the falls back on the values of the company um, because the chief of the current chief of staff is very, they, and the CEO, they live the values of, of the company and, um, I can't remember exactly what they all are, but I know it's like, it's like have, it's having the open mind for the feedback and the constant growth, right. Um, is, uh, is seeking that constant growth. So they're going to learn things from me and I'm going to learn things from them. And mm -hmm. it's there and there are no stepping on each other's toes because whoever is the best as it, at it should own it. All right. That's it for part one. Part two will come in two weeks. If it isn't already out by the time you're listening to this. In part two, we dive into Tiffany's winning method for strategic calendar management and productivity. Now, head on over to StarlaWest.com forward slash podcast and drop your thoughts in the comment section. I'd love to hear how you felt about today's discussion. And as always, that's where you'll find the free worksheet for this episode and links to any resources I mentioned. While you're hanging out on my website, don't forget to sign up for your no-cost online account. By doing that, you'll be the first to know about all the incredible free resources, upcoming events, online courses, and new products I'm cooking up just for you. Now, let's talk about how you can help me keep this show going strong. It is simple. Hit that subscribe button on my YouTube channel. Subscribing there is a super easy way to show your love and support for the podcast. You can also subscribe up to help me think on Spotify, Apple, and Google. We're everywhere, so you're never going to miss an episode. I want to shout out to our fantastic title sponsor, Business Furniture and Company. They make this podcast possible, and I'm super grateful for their support. 
All right, folks, that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Starla West, and I can't wait to catch you next time on Help Me Think. See you soon.